Welcome to episode 40 of Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha Kota Larson, and in this episode, we're talking about one of the most iconic and recognizable, but least protected species on the planet, African lions. The African lion has been listed on CITES Appendix 2 since 1977. This means that for four decades, African lions and their parts have been legally traded. Okay, so here's what you need to keep in mind. The regulating and monitoring of trade in Appendix 2 species, like African lions, is mostly up to the range countries, which means that Appendix 2 can be used to protect a species or... Appendix 2 can be used to exploit a species. It's all in the implementation. Well, guess what? The implementation of CITES Appendix 2 has failed to protect African lions. Failed. There is a seemingly endless list of threats to African lions. Trophy hunting, international trade in lion parts, retaliatory killing, preemptive killing to protect livestock, loss of prey species, and of course, ongoing habitat loss and fragmentation due to conversion of land for livestock and crops, which goes hand in hand with human overpopulation. But let's talk about the haunting specter of trade. The fact is that while international trade in African lions has increased significantly in recent years, African lion populations have declined. According to the CITES trade database, 29,214 lion items were in trade from 2005 to 2014. And check this out, guys. Of 12,315 lion items declared as hunting trophies, about 36% of those were reported as wild, meaning that 64% of African lions killed for trophies were tame hand-raised lions sold by lion breeders to trophy hunt outfitters. Meanwhile, the trade in African lion bones, which we have been warning the world about for the last four years, has increased at an alarming rate. In 2005, just 16 skeletal items were derived from wild lions reported in trade, but in 2014, that number increased to 1,339. Well, today, Behind the Schemes listeners, we are talking with Dr. Peter Catt and Christine McSween, the original Lion Policy Pioneers. Peter and Chris have been working since 2010 to educate the public, the media, and other NGOs and governments about the urgent need to list African lions on CITES Appendix 1. The last time we talked to Dr. Peter Catt and Chris McSween, they explained why African lions need to be included on CITES Appendix 1. They are not the only ones. This year, 10 African countries have determined that the African lion needs the strongest protection possible under CITES. These nations have submitted a proposal to transfer all populations of the African lion from CITES Appendix 2 to CITES Appendix 1. With a proposal now on the table, here's what these lion policy pioneers have to say. So it's so great to talk to you guys again. Thanks so much for joining me again um, on Behind the Schemes. Thank you very much for inviting us once again. Delighted to be here. 
So last time uh, w- that uh, we spoke, you guys talked about the need for African lions to be transferred from CITES Appendix 2 to Appendix 1. And now we do have a proposal on the table for the upcoming COP. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it was a um, uh, there were two things that were interesting about that proposal. The, the first one was that it was um, the Western African states that were proposing to uh, put the, the lion on Appendix 1 because, of course, um, the Western African lion is, number one, genetically different from other lions in Africa, and number two, there's only about 400 to 450 of those left. So that's pretty much, I think, going to be a done deal, that um, the Western African lions are going to end up on Appendix 1 because the IUCN has already classified them as critically endangered. Now, the the surprising thing was that um, it was only the, like I said, the Western African countries that um, put together the proposal and none of the Eastern African countries joined them. I would have expected, for example, Uganda and Kenya to join in with a, with a proposal to put them on uh, Appendix 1. And I also would have thought that... Um, uh, for example, Botswana might have joined in because um, you know Botswana has this complete ban on on trophy hunting and any kind of um, lion e- exports or even live lions. So there were some. It was very interesting to see the Western African nations come together and do this. But like I said, uh, we would have expected a little bit more support. But that was only for the proposal. I think that once the um, the proposal comes to the table uh, on CITES, there'll be widespread support from, from African countries. Because you might remember that in 2004, uh, Kenya made the proposal together with Ethiopia to place lions on Appendix 1. What kind of opposition are you expecting for, to this proposal, if any? Well, there will be a lot of opposition. I think that the southern African countries, especially Namibia, um, Zimbabwe, probably South Africa, and probably also Zambia, will oppose. And um, if they oppose, then they might be able to get some more um, other countries to come along with them. So the vote is not guaranteed to place them on Appendix 1, except for the Western African lines. So what we might end up with is what is called the split listing, where Western African lions are now on Appendix 1, and the Southern African lions remain on Appendix 2. Now, the big question is going to be what's going to happen to the Eastern African lions. Um, But there again, there'll be problems because I think Tanzania will require an Appendix 2 listing because that country still claims to have the most lions in any country in Africa. Although there's probably going to be some dissent from Botswana on that. Um, because Botswana has quite a few um, lions themselves, and I think Tanzania is losing a lot of lions. And we must always remember that there are hardly any recent lion counts. For example, in Botswana, the last lion count, and that was I know about that because I participated in that, was uh, in the year 2000. So we're now in 2016. That means 16 years of no lion counts. I think in Kruger, the last lion count was in 2005. In Tanzania, I don't even know when the last lion count was. In Kenya, the last lion count, uh, again, was, was many, many, many years ago. 
And, you know, that brings up the point that um, these countries, even though they have supposedly, they, a lot of them have land conservation plans, these have not extended to comprehensive countrywide counts of, of lands to determine their their status from, you know, are they growing from, from years ago? Are they stable? Are they increasing? Are they decreasing? The only good information that we have comes from Western Africa and the situation there is very dire. And then some of these population studies, it's my understanding that some of those have actually been um, funded by uh, trophy hunting organizations. That's exactly right. Um, there are there are sort of three categories of, um, of organizations that, that are now funding lion conservation programs or at least lion monitoring programs. Um, some of those are not at all allied with, with the trophy hunters. Others are sort of allied with trophy hunters. And the third category is fully in the hands of trophy hunters. As regular listeners of our podcast and readers of our blog are well aware, one of the many disturbing aspects of the rhino crisis is that private rhino owners in South Africa are known to have killed their own rhinos, sometimes reporting the incident as poaching, and then selling the horns to certain business contacts. With the recent killing of two lions on a lion farm in South Africa, and the majority of South Africa's lion breeders opposed to the Appendix 1 uplisting, I wonder if we will see the same sort of unscrupulous activities. Do you think there's going to be any dirty business like like that with the lion farmers and the, the potential clampdown on the lion industry? I think what's going to happen with the the uh, the Southern African or the South African lions? Let's let's deal with them first. Is that they there will be a lot of um, sort of backdoor and back alley um, moves to try and keep them on appendix to whatever happens. Um, and regardless of Appendix 1 or Appendix 2, it'll be very difficult to convince South Africa and um, the, the trophy hunting um, nations to accept that uh, captive raised lions should also be on Appendix 1. Because um, captive raised animals are generally placed in a higher category than the, um, their, their endangered wild relatives. So the South African situation is, is going to be a very complicated one for CITES to deal with. But also I think what's going to happen is that the, uh, the captive breeding of these lions is going to spread certainly to Namibia and possibly to Zimbabwe. Um, we already have um, some reasonable information to say that um, captive bred lions are being uh, taken across the border into uh, places like um, Zambia and Namibia and then sold there as wild lions. So the captive breeding um, scenario is, is slowly spreading. And I think that if um, there are threats to the Appendix 2 status of the southern African lions, you'll see more and more of these countries going into captive breeding to um, uh, basically make lots of money off, off lions no matter what happens at CITES. Wildlife trade experts have warned repeatedly against the captive breeding of threatened and endangered species as a 
so-called conservation measure. Time after time, these schemes are exposed. White rhinos in South Africa and tigers in China, for example, and proven to be nothing but a way for certain people to profit and others to bank on extinction. And then the captive breeding, of course, that also provides a nice laundromat. That's already happening, especially with with cubs that are captured in the wild and then put into these captive breeding facilities. Um, Number one, because um, uh, the captive breeding facilities are running out of genetic diversity because they've been inbreeding for so long, so they need some new blood. And then also, like you say, the... the, um, the wild lions um, are susceptible um, to being captured and moved into these, these facilities. We know that China's tiger farming scheme is hammering nails in the proverbial coffin of wild tigers. In other words, the number of farmed tigers has increased while the number of wild tigers has decreased. What about the dangers of increasing demand for wild lion parts and products? Do you anticipate something horrible like that happening with lions? Uh, We're already seeing this happening. We're seeing that as lion bones are being substituted for tiger bones, um, we're seeing uh, an increased um, consumer base. And we're seeing that uh, quite a few, or there's a there's a very good potential that more and more lions are going to get poached just to make up the difference, very much like the um, the situation with the uh, with with the rhino horn proposals, you know, where people said, well, we'll just supply China with all these these rhino horns that we've got stacked up, and then all the poaching will go away. But being is creating more and more demand. Now that the lion bone issue is receiving a bit of media coverage, not a lot, but a little, the question is, what needs to happen now? What do we do about the horrifying legal, yes legal, trade in lion bones? What do you think needs to happen um, next for that to for that to stop? Well, I think the first thing that should stop, and that can stop immediately, is that um, right now the captive breeders in South Africa are allowed to export lots and lots of tiger skeletons, oh, sorry, uh, lion skeletons, lion bones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that has to completely stop. Um, I think exporting those kinds of products that are going to cause problems for the wild populations uh, should no longer be allowed. And like I said, that can that can be decided very quickly by the, um, for example, the, the Minister of Environment in, in South Africa. Um, the reason why it's been going on is because the, the, um, the tiger breeders now have a whole new way of making money from, from lions, uh, whereas before it was mostly um, exports to zoos, exports to the Middle East, um, exports to circuses of live animals, and then uh, the, the trophy hunting. Now they've, they've suddenly added something also very lucrative, which is the sale of these bones. Um, and it could well be that what you start seeing in, in South Africa is that um, as the lions are being bred and they're not being trophy hunted that much, they might only be bred for their secondary products, which in this case would be the bones. Well, and just one big giant loophole, all this captive breeding, it's just a mess. No, it's, it's a complete mess. And I think that un- it's so unregulated in South Africa... 
um, that, um, you know, for example, most of the hunters who go there want to shoot males. And then, yeah, they, you, can, you can shoot a female for a cut rate price, but most of them want to, do, want, want to shoot males. So what do you do with the females? Well, you breed them for their bones um, or you breed them for their claws or their teeth to make trinkets out of. So, you know, you can, you can use so many different parts of a lion um, and every step along the way, these breeders are trying to maximize their, their markets for these, these various parts. Ah, it's disgusting. Besides advocating for the protection of African lions at the policy level, Lion Aid is in the classroom educating children everywhere about lions. On to something much happier. Tell me about um, your lion classrooms. Tell me about your um, educational initiative. Well, we started this last year, but this, this year particularly, it's really taken off. And it's called Skype Classroom, and it's now run by Microsoft. And what happens in Skype Classroom is that people can, school teachers from around the world, can then um, request a lesson on whatever subject they want to. And there's a whole list of different organisations and people who offer such lessons, and LionAid offers these lessons. Um, and our, the lesson that we currently offer is the catastrophic decline in lion populations and schools then apply to have that lesson and we do it from age six to seven is probably about the youngest we'll teach um, right through to postgraduate but most of them tend to be um, nine ten year olds that 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 um, come along and a lot of them are schools in the USA they're very popular in the USA that is so cool. Um, are there other countries besides the USA that are are involved with it? Oh wow! Yes, we we've done we've done lessons all over. I mean, we do lessons. We've done lessons in um, China. We've done lessons in India. We've done lessons in Argentina. Um, Mexico, um, UK has got has had some, but uh, Cyprus, um, Spain. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and the number of um, of of countries wanting to get involved in this in this scheme is growing as people learn about Skype Classroom. How does it work? Do you deliver the um, Do you deliver the lecture real time? We allocate the time. We find out in advance how old the class are because each of our lessons are tailored to the age group that we're teaching. So it's a different lesson that goes for each each different year group. Um, we then share our Skype screens and we will do a PowerPoint presentation with these children, and they watch this and we ask them questions throughout the PowerPoint presentation and they. They can ask us questions throughout that because we can see them throughout the program. And then at the end of the PowerPoint, we then put the screens back on um, on Peter and I, and we have a Q&A session. And we do tell the teachers in advance that these children should prepare a lesson about lions. But once it starts, they ask lots and lots of questions. And quite often it's a, it's a struggle to keep the lesson to an hour because they get very, very enthusiastic about all this. And since then... We We've had, for example, um, a school in Houston, Texas, which is a big trophy hunting state. They sent over um, 
letters to the British Prime Minister that they that these children wrote. And when we had our big lion march at the end of April, we included a whole batch of these letters from these from these school children in Texas, um, asking the British Prime Ministers to to ban the importation of lion trophies because it was their heritage that was that was being lost here. And then there's trophy hunting. Since the United States is the biggest importer of African lion trophies, LionAid has gone directly to U.S. policymakers to advocate on behalf of lions. In fact, Peter and Chris met with New Jersey Senator Raymond Lesniak, who said, Trophy hunting of exotic and endangered species is a cruel and inhumane practice that not only threatens the extinction of wild animals throughout the world, but selfishly affects other species in the ecosystem. The senator pointed out that trophy hunting is an elite hobby and the United States is the largest market. Killing these animals so that they can be stuffed and mounted is not a practice that should be condoned or allowed. Could not agree more, Senator. We've just this this um, this afternoon come back from um, a very positive meeting with Senator Raymond Lesniak. He is the New Jersey State Senator, and he decided that he was going to try and get a bill passed banning all lion trophies into the state of New Jersey. The first time he tried to get that bill through, he failed, but he immediately went straight back on the challenge and put it through a second time, and the second time he was successful. And he's now got that inscribed in law in the U.S. that no lion trophies can come into New Jersey. Now, there there are 18 ports of entry into the U.S.A., And since the USA accounts for about 64% of all lion trophies coming out of Africa, it's an important, it's an important important step forward if we can get these these this ban in place across as many states as we possibly can so we went to see um senator lesniak today the first thing we went to see him about was to congratulate him on the work he had done and then we are now we discussed with him how we could work together with him to try and bring on board other state senators to follow his excellent example and to ban line trophies into other states In December 2015, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced the listing of two lion subspecies under the Endangered Species Act. The subspecies located in India and Western and Central Africa is now listed as endangered, and the subspecies located in Eastern and Southern Africa is now listed as threatened. There is now a complete moratorium on lion trophy imports coming into the whole of the USA until such times as they have satisfied themselves that not only is the trade sustainable, but it's also beneficial to the species. Now, you and I know that that's going to never happen because it's not beneficial to the species, but it's for the US government to make those judgments. But in the meantime, if we can get actual laws passed banning lion trophies state by state, then that reinforces what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service have started. But whichever way around you look at it, the USA have shown a great leadership in the conservation of lions and we, we applaud them for this. It's been, yeah, it's been a long time coming and I can't help but think that you guys, you know, LionAid has been working on this so long. I think you guys were, were sounding the alarm for lions long before anybody else was even talking about lions. The very big thing that needs to happen, and we've been shouting about this for a long time as well, is that we need to get some um, independent counts of lion populations now. 
these counts haven't been done for such a long time and they are so overdue. Um, and I think when eventually funding is um, forthcoming to, to do some of these counts, it's going to be a huge shock when people realise how few lions we've got left. What if the trophy hunting industry and lion bone trade collapsed? What if the public and the media realized that captive bred cub petting businesses in Southern Africa were bogus? What if wild African lions were flourishing in their natural habitats? Well, if if we get to that happy scenario when all that gets closed down, it's not going to happen overnight, Risha. It's going to take a long time and it, that, that industry will be wound down and what will have to happen is that we stop breeding these lions and uh, the lions that are all the, the lions that are already there in the captive industry I mean it's awful to say this and people don't like like us to say it and they get upset when we say it but they're already condemned they haven't got a life that they can lead in the wild you cannot put a captive raised lion into the wild and expect it to survive because it won't so those lions don't really have a life anyway now and um but the rather than having to to euthanize 8,000 lions or 5,000 lions, however it is, what will happen in reality if we can get this trade stopped is that that trade will wind down slowly and we the first thing we do is we stop breeding more, more because that's when we're going to start saving lions, when we stop allowing more and more of these captive cubs to be born and, and just really born into a life that's condemned. They don't have a hope and it's so sad for them. It, it is, and I and and that's such an important point that you said about they're not able to be released because you you know as well as I do you know on on you know we see the comments on social media well meaning but very misinformed turn them loose set them free put them back in the wild and you know like you said that could just never happen we would be the first ones to say hallelujah if that was possible but it isn't possible. <laughs> And the other, the other thing that people will say, um, because they're well-meaning and they've got big hearts, understand exactly why people say these things, is that they should be turned over to a sanctuary and put into sanctuaries. Bear in mind that for one lion, one lion, um, one captive-raised lion, um, if it's going to be looked after for the rest of its life, from cub to, to the end of its natural life, it's about a million dollars. That's the cost because they can live a long time um, and the upkeep of them is huge. So it's, it's, there isn't the money there, um, let alone the space, to do that. So what the best we can hope for with these lions is, is number one, huge point, is that we stop breeding more. Stop condemning more lions into this awful, awful life that these poor captive lions are led into. And then the ones that are already there... Uh, we just it has to wind down slowly if people really want to think about it it's not a reason to keep the canned industry going because they're worried about the ones that are already caught in the trap you've got to think about the ones that haven't been born yet and we've got to save those from being born i totally hear what you're saying on that i mean just the this captive canned cycle is just it's so horrible i mean five minutes to get to have video with it with a cub is just it's not worth it no and people don't 
don't actually stop to think about that if they if they see a lion and they see the opportunity to to get up close to a lion and cuddle a lion or whatever it is they don't necessarily relate that with the horror of the canned lion hunting industry and until they do it will not stop There is perhaps nothing more critical to the safeguarding of wild African lions than to shut down the cycle of lion farming, trophy hunting, and the lion bone trade. While it's much more publicly palatable to talk about other threats like habitat loss, the fact is that with enough political will, lion trade can be shut down. Transferring African lions to Appendix 1 is the first step in providing African lions with the protection they need. We've just got to keep going until we win. I mean, we just we don't stop until we've won the day, and that's a promise. You've been listening to the Behind the Schemes podcast, episode 40, with Dr. Peter Cat and Christine McSween, the original lion policy pioneers. We've been talking about the urgent need for African lions to be transferred from CITES Appendix 2 to CITES Appendix 1, and also about the excellent educational work being done around the world by LionAid. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you learn new things on our podcast and will join us in our battle to stop the economic exploitation of endangered species. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes.